Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. Today's episode of the HR Works Podcast is sponsored by Mystery. Mystery makes meaningful connections for employees at work. By breaking down silos and engaging employees, Mystery boosts morale and builds connections across teams by curating virtual events based on employees' shared interests. By matching the right people with the right events, Mystery Events drives an average attendance of 87% compared to the industry average of 50%. With hundreds of quality vetted events, Mystery has something for every team. For a limited time, listeners of the HR Works podcast can get two events for the price of one. Head over to trymystery.com hrworks. That's trymystery.com slash hrworks to book your first event and get your second one free. In today's episode, we're joined by Kyle Elliott, career coach, executive coach, and the founder of caffeinatedkyle.com, a resource and service for career coaching and interview coaching. A trusted career expert, Kyle is an official member of the invitation-only Forbes Coaches Council, a member of the Gay Coaches Alliance, and a stability leader with the Stability Network. His words have been featured in such notable sources as Business Insider, CNBC, CNN, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Forbes, Fortune, and the New York Times, and he's joined us today to be a part of the HR Works podcast. Kyle, welcome, and thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. It's great to introduce you to our audience. So in doing that, I'd love to just get us kicked off by having you tell us a bit about what you currently work on with caffeinatedkyle.com and as a career coach, and what got you started and led you to a career in coaching. Yes, thank you for that amazing introduction. And my path into career coaching is unconventional, I would say. I don't think a lot of people, when they're younger, say they want to be a career coach. So I don't think there's a super conventional way to get into this. But I also think mine is less conventional than a lot of people as well. I started on Fiverr. It's an online marketplace. And I literally charged $5 to review resumes, to write LinkedIn profile summaries. And it was just supposed to be this side hustle in college. I love coffee, as you can guess, from caffeinatedkyle.com is my website and business. And I said, hey, this would be a fun way to make money to pay for Starbucks in college. Well, this kept growing and growing and growing. And fast forward five years of the side hustle, I had a 30-hour-a-week business that I was juggling on top of my 60-hour-a-week job. And I had to say, oh, which one do I do full-time? And I ended up running with my business full-time. And now another five years later, it's been a decade. And I've been coaching now for a decade. And I absolutely love it. And my expertise is really Silicon Valley and tech or other spaces that are really competitive. And as you can imagine, these competitive spaces There's a lot of burnout, a lot of fatigue, a lot of mental health conditions that come up. And I get to help people really identify and own their fabulousness and then also manage those mental health challenges that come up along the way as well. Oh, that's so great. I loved in your story of just getting started and finding this career in coaching that it started with a passion, right? You were pursuing your passion for coffee to start. Yeah, but that that led you to a career path where pursuing the passion of coaching and helping people in their careers and continuing to do that and building caffeinatedkyle.com, which again is a really impressive resource that you're offering out to again the Silicon Valley community. And as you mentioned too, burnout is such a prevalent factor just in general in the workspace, especially as we've seen entering into the remote era 
and the shift into such a different working time that so many workers are dealing with newfound burnout or discovering burnout and understanding those challenges. So we'll definitely dig into that. But first and foremost, the hot topic in the HR world right now is quiet quitting. Mm -hmm. So let's dig into that to start. What's your understanding of quiet quitting? Is it simply just a response to employee burnout or is there something deeper here that we're looking at? I love language to start. I just wrapped up a doctorate in educational leadership. I pursued it as a hobby because I love learning. I love language. I love research and writing. And my dissertation focused on mental health and storytelling. And right as I was finishing up my dissertation, this whole concept of quiet quitting came up. And depending who I talk to, whether I'm talking to people in recruiting, HR, whether I'm talking to frontline workers in tech or executives, how people are describing and defining this term is changing and evolving. But based on my conversations with people, how I would say or define quiet quitting is, is people no longer going above and beyond what is expected of them. So people aren't actually quitting their jobs, but instead they're saying, Kyle, I'm not going to quit, but I'm also not going to go above and beyond what's expected of me. Probably 50% of my clients coming into session say, you know what, Kyle, I'm just done with this job. I'm not going to quit till I find a new job, but I'm also no longer going to go above and beyond what's expected of me. So they're quiet quitting in the sense that they're just not doing anything extra that they used to do. And I'm seeing a lot of different reasons for this as well that we can go into, but it's just at a really interesting time. We're about three years into this pandemic. We have a lot of other things going on in the world right now, and we're just creating this new language to describe everything that's going on in the world right now. Yeah, I think that's a great way to summarize it. The phrasing is so interesting. Our team of editors at HR Daily Advisor discuss that all the time. There's a negative connotation with quitting, but you could also look at the positive end of it and say, well, maybe this is just a balance and workers understand, okay, this is what I'm capable of doing and not overextending beyond their means, beyond their capabilities. And somewhere in between that, I think, is what we're defining quiet quitting as. But you mentioned just the reasons behind it. What's driving workers toward this quiet quitting? The top reason I'm saying is that people don't feel respected or valued. They're saying, Kyle, the last several years during the pandemic, I've worked really, really hard, yet I don't feel valued or respected. I haven't gotten a promotion or I haven't gotten a raise, or they're now asking me to come back in the office. I worked remotely the last three years. Why do I have to come back in the office? So people don't feel valued or respected. On top of that, there's just a lot of burnout and fatigue. People are exhausted trying to do their jobs on top of this pandemic that we've had, on top of recent mass shootings, on top of now there's monkeypox. All these things going on are really exhausting for people. And then also people are realizing what's most important to them. So they're saying, you know what, my job isn't number one. It's actually my family. It's actually my friends. And then finally, the most interesting thing to me, probably in the last six months or so that I've seen, so probably since March or so, is people wanting more purpose, more meaning with their work. They're saying, I don't want to just support a corporation, but at the end of the day, I want to say my job has meaning, my job has purpose. And people are coming to me saying, you know what, if I'm going to work 40 hours or 50 or 60, I want those hours to have purpose and meaning. So I'm going to quiet quit and go find something with more purpose and meaning. Yeah, really well said. And the reasons behind what is driving quiet quitting all really add up to a lot of what we were seeing initially with the great resignation, right? Mm -hmm. And the realization that a lot of workers were having with what they were currently working on and reassessing their work-life balance, reassessing their passions a bit. 
And while maybe that initially drove to leaving positions without the next step lined up, now the quiet quitting is almost that next phase to say, okay, I'm going to step back for a bit, keep working, but be looking toward that next opportunity. It seems to be that next logical step that we're seeing in the workplace. Yeah, and I find a lot of this has been going on for as long as I've been a coach, as long as I've been doing this, and now people have a common language to discuss it. So before, people didn't have a language to say, oh, I don't want to work more than 40 hours. I don't want to go above and beyond. But now we have a communal language to say, here's how I'm feeling. And everyone may not be on the exact same page as how they define quiet quitting, but at least there's some commonality around how people are feeling and say, oh yeah, that quiet quitting, I don't exactly resonate with this definition in the New York Times or with this viral TikTok post, but I can somewhat relate, that makes sense. And there's less stigma also to be talking about this when we say quiet quitting, it's a lot easier to say, oh, I'm quiet quitting than to say, oh, I'm anxious or I'm feeling depressed or oh, I'm really burnt out. It's a lot easier to say, oh, I'm quiet quitting. There's less stigma attached with that. Right. And that's what's so great with the current conversation around quiet quitting is people are starting to understand what it is. And it doesn't have necessarily that negative connotation that that first jump, when I first heard quiet quitting, you kind of cringe a bit. Mm-hmm. But to understand and say, okay, no, it's more of just a balance and it's an understanding of scaling it back. And that can sometimes be a good thing if you're challenged with burnout, if you're looking for that next career step, that you're continuing to contribute to your current role, but maybe reassessing just that balance. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting in the next year or two what quiet quitting turns into in regard to how we label it. I think there might be another name for it. It might be loud quitting or loud self-care, loud work-life balance, or now work-life balance is more work-life integration, work-life blend, work-life compartmentalization. There's all these words for it. And I think it's fun to look at the words. And I also like looking beyond that and saying, okay, what are we doing as HR practitioners, HR leaders, as these culture champions to really do something now that employees and leaders are talking about this? How do we then take action from this and not just focus on the language and argue over the definition of quiet quitting? Yeah, and and that transitions really well to my next question. What can organizations and HR leaders do to embrace quiet quitting and really turn that into more of a positive outcome for their employees than, again, maybe that initial negative connotation? So I think some cultures and companies are a little worried that it's posing a threat to them. They're saying, oh, gosh, we have employees who aren't going to be working as hard. But instead, I think this is going to require organizations to really enhance and examine and refine their culture and say, are we a culture where people come in, work their 40 hours and leave? Or is this a culture where we expect people to work even more? And I imagine we're going to see a split in regard to companies. We're going to have some companies that really embrace this work-life balance philosophy. And we're going to have other organizations where say, if you quiet quit, we're not the fit for you. And I think companies are going to get more bifurcated in regard to what they offer. And employees are also going to get more specific. Some of my clients say, I'm fine with working 80 hours a week. That's what I like. And they're going to go seek out those companies that align with their working style. And then other employees that say, oh, what's really important to me is work-life balance, they're going to seek out those organizations that align with them. So I don't think this is a threat to company culture. Instead, I really see it as an opportunity for companies to get more specific with their company culture and then market it more intentionally as well and just be honest and authentic with it. Yeah, it'll help companies better define who they are and find the talent who is the right fit. That's one of the most interesting things that I've seen over the last year or so is that the move into the remote era really forced companies to define what they're about, what they wanted to be, and who they wanted to be going forward. 
And again, so many of the factors of the outside world playing into that. So I think now more than ever, you're seeing companies clearly define who they are and what they want to be. And that idea of quiet quitting will just further force companies and organizations to think about who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to offer an opinion on Tesla, whether I agree or disagree with how they're operating during this time. However, they're a really good example of taking a stance right now and saying, here's what we expect of our employees. We expect them to be in the office 40 hours a week minimum. Here's the type of culture we're doing. And if you are of the stance of wanting to quiet quit or not wanting to work more than 40 hours a week and have really good work-life balance, Tesla may not be a fit for you. But conversely, I have clients who really love working more than 40 hours a week, literally giving their lives to a company and saying, hey, I'm going to do this for two years, have Tesla on my resume, and then go work somewhere else where maybe it's a little lighter. Tesla may be a fit for you. And I'm not saying companies should follow Tesla or shouldn't. But instead, they're a really good example of being really clear on their company culture. And then employees that go work there from the beginning say, yeah, this is the type of company I want to work for. And then I have other clients that say, Kyle, don't allow me to work for any company like Tesla. And then you don't want to be one of those companies where employees come in and say, oh, I didn't know you were like this company or I didn't know you wanted me to work 80 hours a week. I wish I would have known this ahead of time. We don't want to surprise employees either. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we can make is surprising employees in regard to our work culture. Yeah, it's finding the right fit. I think in so much of our lives, everything is personalized now. And it seems that your job can almost become much more personalized to what your strengths are, right? If you're someone who likes to work 80 hours a week, if someone who likes to be in office, you can more clearly find those positions and those organizations that support that. If you're someone who needs a little bit more work-life balance, may want to work off shifts or just needs to be in more of a remote setting, that option is out there and you can find that company and that opportunity much more clearly, which again, playing into the career coaching piece and even quiet quitting, when you find that place where you're the right fit, that's going to extend your passion and extend your investment in that role and hopefully keep people from feeling like they need to scale back or like they're not in that right place. Exactly. And I encourage the recruiters and hiring managers listening to this to be ready for those types of questions. When I talk to job seekers, one of the first things they say when I say, okay, what's really important to you in your next job? And what's a deal breaker when it comes to you going through organizations and saying which ones you want to work for and which ones you don't has to do with the culture, is it? Is it going to be flexible in regard to hybrid or remote? Am I going to be able to leave from four to six o'clock to go pick up my kids from school or daycare? Those are some of the first things they're saying. I'm saying, wow, you're mentioning this before salary. You're mentioning this before the work you do day to day. You're mentioning this before the industry. One of the biggest things people care about right now is flexibility and autonomy at work. So if you're a recruiter or hiring manager, you be your hiring manager, you have to be prepared to answer questions around that company culture and that workplace flexibility and have good answers ready. And now a word from our sponsor. Hey listeners, we mentioned it at the start of this episode and I just want to remind you all to check out the sponsor of today's episode, Mystery. Mystery makes meaningful connections for employees at work. By breaking down silos and engaging employees, Mystery boosts morale and builds connections across teams by curating virtual events based on employees' shared interests. By matching the right people with the right events, Mystery's events drives an average attendance of 87% compared to the industry average of 50%. What's better than that? With hundreds of quality vetted events, Mystery has something for every team. And for a limited time, listeners of the HR Works podcast can get two events for the price of one. That's two events for the price of one. So head over to trymystery.com slash hrworks. That's trymystery.com slash hrworks to book your first event and get the second one free. 
And now, back to our episode. So you mentioned in talking about the drivers of quiet quitting burnout. So I want to shift gears a bit and talk about an article you actually just put out for HR Daily Advisor. And by the time this episode gets released, it will be live on hrdailyadvisor.com titled How HR Can Support Employee Mental Health During Difficult Times. So I wanted to shift gears and really look at that employee mental health aspect and the idea of burnout. Are there any big challenges facing employee wellness and productivity that HR leaders and organizations should be preparing for as we head into these final months of 2022? Yes. A lot of employees are really wrestling with their mental health right now. And these are both employees with diagnosed mental health conditions and these employees without diagnosed mental health conditions, but they're just really wrestling with their mental health. I mean, we've all been dealing with a multi-year global pandemic. So first, just know your employees are likely struggling right now and be empathetic, listen to them and have an open ear, while at the same time, not expecting your employees to come forward. And I realize that's a little challenging right there. I'm telling you to listen to your employees and also not have them come forward, but you have to be ready during this time to pivot and recognize that things are going to be rapidly changing and you're not always going to be ready with the perfect answer. So that's where listening comes into employees. And one week they may say, hey, we want a lot of flexibility. And the next week they say, hey, we want some structure from you. And this is a time as a leader to be adaptable and recognize you may not have all the answers. And part of what I share in this article is to communicate those updates to your team saying, hey, here's an update I have or hey, I don't have any update for you right now and practice that honesty, that communication, that transparency throughout the process. Yeah, I mean, think how important transparency was through the entire shift to the remote era when so many of us had no idea what the next step forward was all the way up to the C-suite and having leadership come forward and honestly say that, I think helped so many teams and see, hey, sometimes we're struggling here and being transparent, being open and honest helped with company culture and really helped through a lot of these tough times from the workforce. And I encourage leaders to really look at a few inflection points as well when it comes to their employees. The first is your recruiting process. So when you have prospective employees who are reaching out and learning about your company, how are you communicating the value of employee mental health and you supporting your employees? Do you talk about your mental health benefits? How do you communicate the importance of employee mental health when recruiting talent? The second is onboarding. So when employees are onboarding, again, how do you talk about mental health? How do you talk about benefits? How do you train employees on diversity in the workplace? And then the third is exit interviews. So as employees are leaving, how are you learning about the reasons they're leaving? And then how are you changing your current organizational programs and strategies in response to those exit interviews? So looking at everything is great, but I find those three inflection points can be really helpful to adjust your strategy based on employee mental health. Yeah, that that onboarding piece is great. I mean, you look at how challenging that can be for employees to join new teams, right? Get into new roles and deal with those added stressors of meeting new people, sometimes in a remote environment, but then also dealing with that challenge of imposter syndrome that much like quiet quitting, we're putting terms to things now. Imposter syndrome, I think, is another one that has really helped summarize that feeling often of joining into a new role and figuring it out as you go. I think teams that have figured out great ways to onboard and help integrate their new team members into the organization remove some of that added stress. Yes, and notifying employees of the benefits you have. So a lot of organizations have EAPs or employee assistance programs, but actually educating employees on what that means. I attended a webinar earlier today, and one employee was talking about how people kept mentioning EAP at their organization, but the employee kept not using it because they didn't realize it was confidential. 
They thought that every time they went to the EAP, that EAP would relay all of their conversations during their mental health therapy back to their manager. So they said, why would I go to therapy at work (laughs) if everything would go back to my boss? So just educating employees on the fact that if you go to an EAP, it's confidential, except in a very few scenarios, anything you share during that EAP appointment and the utilization of services are confidential. So simply educating employees on the benefits you have, it seems really simple, but there's areas to most organizations can improve there. Yeah, yeah. Advocate for the benefits that you offer. And again, that just adds back to your company culture and what makes you unique for prospective employees. But even for your existing employees and and helps drive their value and make them feel even more part of that corporate culture when you can say, hey, we offer these great benefits that you may not be utilizing, you may not be aware of, here's how they can help you. I think there's an interesting shift in seeing more personalized approaches to mental health awareness within the workplace too. It's not just a blanket statement of, hey, we're offering these classes, attend if you'd like to. There are more personal programs that are now available that can help the individual and be more catered to the individual than just, again, offering a blanket resource. Exactly. And customizing to your workplace. So if you have a remote workforce, perhaps offering a program of here's how to practice work-life balance. If you work remotely, how to separate um, work from home. If your home office, if you have a home office and you're working at home and your cat's in the background, your children are screaming and offering programs that are unique to your company culture, instead of just saying, here's this program we offered, we got it off the shelf, but instead customizing those programs both at that recruiting standpoint, at the onboarding, at the exit interview, and then everywhere in between is really important. Absolutely. So one thing I want to call out too that you mentioned, Kyle, was the idea of also using the offboarding process to learn and be adaptable. That goes back to that idea of flexibility and understanding that the employees who are leaving, you can still learn from them and be open to that feedback. Use that feedback and change and modify to create a better employee experience for your existing employees. Yes. And I find there's a balance. Some employees don't share anything. Um, As a career coach, I often encourage clients not to share information because it's too late. However, when people aren't working with me or before they worked with me, they'll often share a lot. They'll use these exit interviews as a venting session. So you can gain a lot of really powerful information from employees through an exit interview. And I would use this information and leverage it to improve your program. So if you notice employee after employee is leaving because they didn't feel supported, if they felt burnt out, if there was too much work, I would look into that and say, what can we do to improve this? You may not be able to address everything there or implement everything to the full extent employees want, but at least look, are there low-hanging fruits here that may be helpful to address? Perhaps it's no meeting Fridays. Perhaps it's giving people half a day off once a month or taking a day off here and there. See where there's low hanging fruit that you can begin to implement can be really powerful. Um, I have an article coming out for another publication of different ways people are implementing innovative benefits. And some of it as simple as a Headspace app that a lot of organizations are doing. And my clients say, oh my gosh, my organization did this. It shows they really care. And the cost is so little, but the impact on employee mental health and on the bottom line can be really powerful because it costs so much when employees are out, when they're not performing, the cost to disability for your organization, the costs are huge. And that's a great segue to my next question. And as many of our listeners are HR leaders and working in people operations within their organizations, what's one thing that organizations and their HR leaders can do, if you had to pick one, to implement tomorrow and really make an impact on their employee well-being? If I had to choose one thing, I would encourage leaders to speak up more openly about their own mental health. 
and their own experiences with mental health, as well as their utilization of their own resources at the organization, as well as externally. So I'm not encouraging people to self-disclose before they're ready and they feel psychologically safe. But if you're a leader and you are struggling with mental health and you feel at a point where it would provide hope and inspiration to employees to share your mental health, Um, journey, I would encourage you to do so because it can then provide hope and inspiration for other employees to then seek out resources and support and services. That's great advice. I'm not encouraging anyone to self-disclose before they're ready, but it can be really powerful to share your story. And then employees say, oh, our CEO leveraged our EAP program. Our CEO took off for mental health day. That's really powerful. I can too. Yeah. I mean, that's leading from the front. And that's something that in speaking with so many great members of the HR community, that tends to be a common theme that if you're a leader within a team, you're setting the tone for the rest of your group, right? If, if you're using all of your PTO, if you're making sure you don't respond to emails after a certain time, like that's setting the tone for your group and can really make an impact. Exactly, exactly. And I would encourage you to also look again at those three points and see, or at least the first two points, the recruiting and the onboarding, and think about if anyone at your organization would be comfortable sharing their story. So if you look at your careers page, is anyone talking about your employee mental health benefits on your careers page and how they've used them? And then at your onboarding of employees, are any leaders coming in and saying, hey, here's some of our benefits we have, and here's how I've used them as well. So not just saying here's our benefits, but how are you leveraging storytelling throughout the employee life cycle. Yeah, that's all great advice. And that's what a lot of great applicants are also looking for too, is they want to see that it's more than just the paycheck with an opportunity with Mm -hmm. an organization, that there's a deeper meaning and that there's a deeper opportunity to bring your full self through the role. That's all great advice there, Kyle. So shifting gears a bit, I want to look at how you've actually seen some growth over the last two years. We've all learned so much through the pandemic and through our shift to the remote era about ourselves and picked up things along the way that have made us better at our roles and better leaders. So what's something that you've learned over the last two years that you feel has made you a better leader and helped you improve as a career coach? My word for the last year has been lollygag. So I see my own therapist and my partner is very good at lollygagging. So if we're going somewhere, I have a mission, I know where I want to go. By the time this will have released this episode, my birthday will have just passed. So I'm a Virgo. So I'm very go, go, go. I'm type A, a recovering perfectionist. And my partner is the complete opposite. He's good at just lollygagging. And over the last few years of the pandemic, he's taught me how to lollygag more. And in my work with clients, and I primarily work with executives, I've helped them lollygag more. And it's been so powerful for them to say, oh, I'm more than just leading this huge organization. Yes, that's a big part of my life. And it brings a lot of purpose and meaning to my life. But I'm more than that. It's okay, Kyle, for me to lollygag. Ooh, I left work at six today, Kyle. This has been powerful. Usually I work till nine. I actually spent time with my wife for my husband and my kids. And wow. Um, So it's been a big takeaway for me is just to lollygag and have more fun. That's great. I ask this question pretty frequently of our guests, and that's the first time I've heard lollygag, and I love it. I think it's a good good takeaway from that, too. It's like taking your foot off the gas a bit and understanding that there's more to life sometimes than, than just the career piece of it. Uh, and that can also just make you stronger at your career by getting more of that balance. Great to hear that lollygagging was a good takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also looking at just providing advice to our audience. I'm really big on paying it forward. So was there something that you'd learned or a piece of advice that you had received in your past that you've leaned on throughout your career that you could pay forward to our audience and share? 
I'm looking at my desk. I literally have one posted on my desk and it says, why don't you answer honestly? It's from my own coach and mentor. I was in a coaching session. I didn't know how to respond or I brought the challenge of not knowing how to respond to clients who reached out who I didn't want to work with. I am lucky to be in a position with my business where sometimes people reach out and I have the luxury of being able to turn them down. And I said, I don't know how to be honest with these people to say, you know what, you're not a fit or therapy might be better. Um, or I just don't want to work with you. You're a crab apple. And she said, why don't you just answer honestly? And I've carried that advice with me for almost four years now. So when I'm stuck, when my clients are stuck, when leaders are stuck, I like turning this question back on them. Why don't you answer honestly? Why don't you lead with honesty? And it's so powerful what comes from that space of honesty. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you for that, Kyle. And you're right. There's so much to learn from just being honest. Sometimes you can feel it. It's palpable in the room. You just want somebody to be able to call it what it is. And to your point, if there's not the right fit, speak up. That's a great opportunity to do so. Exactly. Exactly. Well, fantastic advice. And again, we're joined by Dr. Kyle Elliott, career coach, executive coach, and founder of caffeinatedkyle.com. Kyle, what's the best way for any interested listeners to reach you if they're interested in learning more about all the great career advice that you have to offer? Yes. If anyone listening would like to learn more about my career coaching work or executive coaching, you can visit my website, caffeinatedkyle.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, Kyle Elliott with two L's and two T's, and I'd love to chat more. Perfect. That's a great resource again for our listeners. And I encourage anybody out there who is interested, reach out to Kyle with all those great touch points and certainly check out his article that we'll be publishing on HR Daily Advisor coming up. So Kyle, before we wrap, and I like to ask this of all my guests, you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor. What's the one thing or the first thing you think about that gets you motivated to start your day? Probably what I'm ordering from Starbucks is the first thing. Yeah. The cup of coffee is usually mine as well. So great answer and great minds think alike. Well, look, Kyle, thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast. Thank you for sharing such great insight with our audience. And we'll certainly look forward to having you back and keeping the conversation going. Yes, thanks for having me. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. 